want to say hello to all you kids in here. And just real quick, you know, this is Family Sunday, and there's lots of different reasons we have Family Sunday. But if you're a, a kid or you're in junior high, just look up here for just one second. One second. You don't have to look up the rest of the sermon. I want you guys to know that I want to be your pastor now, not just when you're old. So that's one of the reasons we have you in church. And so you can know that you're part of our church. You're not in the little church. You're part of the whole church. And what Pastor Jennifer does with you and your other leaders is so important. And, and just a few times a year, we like to have you in here with us so you can kind of know what we do and because you're part of what happens in here. Okay, you can now go back to sleep or... Um, play with your video game and whatever your parents want you to do. So I don't know what it's like to run a restaurant. I've never done that before, but I've talked to friends who have managed a restaurant and I've uh, seen restaurant managers in action. I've actually been um, in commercial kitchens before and seen how all that occurs. And I, I also know this is that um, working at a restaurant is not family friendly hours. Because when couples or groups of singles or families like to go out to eat, it's when they're not working. And so that's when restaurant workers are working. So these are some things that even though I've never managed a restaurant, I've observed that about a restaurant. Here are some other things that I know. I know that it's really difficult to find employees. And then it's even more difficult to retain employees. I know that these restaurants is actually difficult to make a profit. And that's why here in Hendersonville, you've seen so many of them close down through the years. And you have really optimal restaurant locations right now that remain empty because we all, most of us like to go out to eat, but it's still hard to make a lot of money with that. So it's a tough business and it's a tough lifestyle. I don't know that firsthand because I haven't managed a restaurant, but I can can make those conclusions through conversation and observation. So because of that, I made a decision to lower my expectations when I go out to eat. I just lower my expectations and if I get good service and hot food, I'm happy about that. And if I don't, I'm not happy about it, but I've just decided like, I'm not going to go and complain to the restaurant manager because a 16-year-old kid forgot to put lettuce on my hamburger. I'm just, for the reasons I already mentioned, it's a tough business. And I'm sure there is a breaking point for me, and there has been, so I'm not trying to act like I'm above it all. But I'm using that as an illustration because a lack of empathy, a lack of trying to imagine what it's like to be away from your family, trying to serve people food uh, when you're understaffed and when the conditions are difficult. A lack of empathy may cause us to have a lack of compassion. But empathizing and, and trying to like imagine what it would be like to be in that other person's shoes may bring compassion to us to say, yeah, this is not a preferred experience, but I'm going to be cool about it uh, because I can imagine what the circumstances are. So empathy is this. We, we, that word is used a lot now. We say we, we want empathy in our leaders. Empathy is this ability to try to feel what someone else is feeling or at least to project what someone else is feeling upon you. 
And that has value, but it has limited value because it's easy to be empathetic towards someone and not do anything about it. So there's another word that the functional definition of this word goes further than simple empathy. It's the word compassion. And I have this working definition that you can read with me on the screen. Compassion is uh, feelings of sympathy that lead to action. So you're not compassionate just because you sympathize with someone or empathize with them. Compassion takes it a step further. And it says, yes, it's, you know, empathy is the beginning of compassion. So if you're never empathetic or sympathetic, you're you're never going to probably be compassionate, at least not compassionate from the heart. But when we begin to empathize in every situation, what's it like to be a teenager today? I mean, it's, it's much different being a teenager today than it was 20 years ago, when it was 40 years ago. It, it, there, there are some parallels that are timeless, but it's just so different, and you know the reason why. And so when we, we empathize, that leads to compassion, and compassion is taking sympathy and actually doing something about it. So here's the premise of this part two of the sermon, Jesus style. I want to talk about the compassion of Jesus. Jesus is is full of compassion. And because he's full of compassion, he wants us to be full of compassion. Now, the Old Testament has some really difficult passages. Hey, if you don't believe me, you hadn't read it in a while, okay? The Old Testament's important to read, but it's tough to read at some points. And there there are a lot of stories in the Old Testament where the writers are trying to figure out the nature of God. And so things that they write can, can, can feel disturbing to us or upsetting to us or, or maybe we, we have a lack of understanding. And that's why when we see the Lord in heaven, we'll have full revelation. We only have partial revelation with our limited minds. But the Old Testament can feel harsh and it can feel, feel unyielding. And, and that's why Jesus came and said, hey, that old covenant didn't really work. Here's a new covenant. We're new covenant people. But through the cracks in the concrete of the Old Testament, some beautiful flowers pop up. And, you know, just when I'm reading the Old Testament, I'm like, oh, man, this is getting really tough. This is getting really hard. And then these beautiful words kind of come, come forth, and they're reminders of the nature of God, and they're pointers to the personification of Jesus. So here's my first point today about compassion. God demonstrated compassion under the old covenant. So when you're reading the old Testament and then it's like, Oh man, this is heavy. And sometimes the old Testament can feel, feel a little bit dark. And then like a burst of light comes off the page or off the screen. And, and then I don't, for me, at least it's almost like the heaviness makes the beauty of what the prophets say or what the psalmist sung be even greater. And all throughout the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, you see the compassion of God and you see the love of God. It's easy sometimes just to focus on the wrath of God, but the wrath of God really sets up the compassion of God. Like you don't really need the forgiveness and mercy and compassion of God if there isn't a judgment of God. And so judgment comes because of people's choices. You know, and And difficult times come 
because of the consequence of sin. And then God doesn't treat us as we deserve. He is compassionate. He empathizes with us and that identification God has with us produces mercy. That's the action point. So let me give you a couple of samples. And so here, Psalm 78 is a long song about all the mistakes God's people made and then the responses to those mistakes. But then look at this nugget of truth, this ray of light, verse 36, but they deceived him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their, verse 37, the ray of light hasn't come yet, by the way. Their hearts were insincere towards him and they were unfaithful to his covenant. Now that may not sound like you, but that sounds like me. Verse 38, here it is. Yet he was compassionate. He atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He often turned his anger aside and did not unleash all his wrath. He could, but he doesn't. He should, but he chooses not to. See, that's the story of our God. The story of our God is not his wrath. The story of our God is his mercy. The story is not God's right to condemn. The story is God's choice to forgive. And this is the story we're living in through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We're living through that story. The book of Lamentations is interesting. It's a book that's lamenting or it's grieving the exile of God's people. The exile came providentially, but it came because the people made poor choices. Yet in the middle of this heavy book where there's this realization, we've messed up God and we deserve the consequences of what's happened. Look at this, this flower out of the concrete, this beautiful scripture in Lamentations chapter three, starting with verse 21. For the Lord will not reject us forever. Even if he causes suffering, verse 32, he will show compassion according to the abundance of his faithful love. For he does not enjoy bringing affliction or suffering on mankind. I'm so glad God doesn't enjoy bringing affliction on mankind. I know Christians really enjoy speaking God's affliction upon non-Christians. We, we do, because it makes us feel like insiders and everyone's an outsider. And man, I just wanted to just say, hey, every time you get a judgmental attitude towards non-Christians or lukewarm Christians, why don't you just turn that inspection on your own heart? That's what Jesus said to do. See, I need the mercy of the Lord. I need the mercy and the compassion of the Lord for my motives, for my missteps. And he's gonna, he's been there for me and he'll continue to be there for me and for you. All right, I know there's a few of you guys and gals out there who love reading the instruction manual. I don't know who you are exactly, but I wanna be your friend so you can read instruction manuals with me. Our insurance company has been telling us a few years, and this is just like a light little requirement they have, that CIL needs an employee handbook. I remember the, when I worked for a couple of churches before, they had employee handbooks that I signed. I never read them. I just figured, hey, don't just stay out of trouble anyway. Um, so, so we need an, an employee handbook. And so I took some stuff that I had 
and took some other samples. And we've been putting together this employee handbook. And I'm going to make the staff read the whole handbook during a staff meeting because I know that they will never read it otherwise. And here's the reason why. Because I wrote it and I don't want to read it. Because just handbooks are boring and they're terrible. Except for you elite Vigorous intellectual people who love to read handbooks. Yeah, I'd, I'd see some of you out there. So we've, we've got this um, kind of extensive lighting, lighting system here at the church because for some reason about the year 2014, churches can't worship God without LED lights. I, I don't know what happened. It has something to do with uh, free trade with China and LED lights like dropped like about you know, 80% in cost. And so it's like, yes, the youth pastors have taken over the church and we have LED lights now. So that's what happened. So even, you know, I've been to a church in the deep valleys of Appalachia, like where you send mission trips to and they've got LED lights. So that's just the way it is, you know, it's the stained glass of the 21st century. So I used to be able to come into this sanctuary and pray And I would go over to the wall and switch the lights on. Now you can't do that anymore. It takes three computers practically to turn on our lighting system. And if you don't do it just right, it causes problems. And then we have to have Hunter, our lighting guy, come up during the week. And he has to be away from his precious family and reprogram things. It's just a a mess, if you ask me. So I've been told there's a manual to the lighting board. I don't care because I'm not going to read it. I, I don't want to read it. I've heard that there's been a summary of the manual and there, there are written instructions in the back on how to turn on the sanctuary lights. I'm not just talking about the stage lights. I'm talking about the stuff over your head right now. I don't want to read the list. I want to just push a button and have it come on. So now I haven't read the manual and I don't plan on reading the manual, but I've had Hunter and and my wife, Beth also come and walk me through the steps. And they've said, push this button and then this button, then go to that screen and then turn on this switch. And, and I won't read, but you can show me how to do it. All right. So there's a lot of things in life that, that is that way for you guys and gals who mow the church's yard. You know, I've mowed the church's yard a few times, a few years ago, but I don't know how to start the new mowers now. So I, and I don't want you to teach me how to start them because uh, then if I see grass eye, you know how that goes, man, that wicked heart in me. That's why I need the mercy of the Lord. Hey, I know you guys have a blast on those mowers. So don't, you know, I know it's fun. You get away from your wives and you mow all day and you call it service to the Lord, right? Well, y'all aren't laughing about that now. Woo, conviction is here now, right? I'm hitting it close to home now. The prophetic is coming forward. Um, So here's the deal. We don't like to read instruction manuals. And that's kind of what the law was. Yeah, the Ten Commandments was, was, you know, a, a concise form of the law. But then Leviticus and Deuteronomy they, they give even more, more um, depth to the Ten Commandments. And then on top of that, the Pharisees and different teachers would have whole books of more rules about how to follow the Ten Commandments. 
You know, Jesus said, hey, let's just summarize it with this. Love God with all your heart and love, love your neighbor as yourself. Because reading the manual is, is so burdensome that you don't have time to live your life. You, you don't. And so this is why we need Jesus. And when we talk about the compassion of Jesus, Jesus didn't just give us something to read about compassion. He showed us compassion. Here's number two. Jesus personified compassion in the kingdom of God. So when you read the gospels, which by the way, I don't think Christians read the gospels very much. If, you know, I just don't think they do. Because it's so amazing, like how Jesus is not part of our conversation and our behavior. But anyway, y'all, I've already complained about that before. So um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 37 gives us a sample. There's many, many scriptures like this in the Gospels, how compassion caused Jesus to move in the kingdom of God. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages this is verse 35 of Matthew 9, teaching in their synagogues. So how many know teaching is an important part of what Jesus does? Preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and every sickness. Why? Because when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. This is verse 36, because they were distressed. When he saw the crowds, he saw compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. In verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. And kind of the premise of this message, I'll get ahead of myself. One of the reasons the workers are few is because we don't have compassion. We don't have empathy. It's someone else's job to teach a kid scripture. It's someone else's job to lead a small group. You know, one of, the, one of the big issues we have with small groups is once you get your small group and you get your people at church that you like to connect with, you don't really care. You lose empathy for the people who are entering the church. One of the most compassionate thing you can do is invite someone to 242. One of the most compassionate thing you can do is to uh, invite someone to a women's Bible study or men's Bible study. Or forget that. That's so formal. Just invite them to lunch or coffee. That, that's a compassionate thing to do because it takes effort. Because you got your people. You got your people. I get my people. I don't, I've heard this a lot, especially from, from people 50 and over. And, and I'm, I'm, I can see 50 on the horizon, so I'm with you now. Um, I've already got enough friends. I can feel that a little bit now. I've got a friend. I don't, I don't have the emotional capacity for more friends. Well, that might be true, but that's not compassionate because there's someone in your sphere who's lonely. So we can empathize on what it's like to be a single adult or we can have compassion and include single adults as part of our, of, of our lives. We can empathize on what it's like to not have parents, or we can get involved at some level, at some level and sympathize, I mean, or show compassion uh, towards the fatherless. This is what Jesus did. What motivated Jesus to do Jesus stuff was his compassion for the people. Uh, He wasn't trying to grab power because he already had all power within him. He, He got involved with the people 
and the empathy produced compassion that caused him to actually do something. You know, on social media today, there, there are these parodies and a parody is pretending like something is real to make a point. Pretending like something is real, but it's humorous to make a point. So these, there's these Christian parodies out there and I'm not gonna tell you their names because I don't wanna necessarily promote them because I'm, I'm on the fence on them because Psalm 1 tells us not to be mockers. So if we, if we mock some of the things we do in Christianity, then we marginalize them from our life. So that's one side of me. The other side of me is this, is some of these parodies are the most prophetic expressions we've had in the 21st century because we are so blind to some of the things that we are doing that, that are ridiculous. Now, before social media came out, there was a book in 2006 um, and the, the name of the book was A Field Guide to evangelicals and their habitat. And I thought this book was hilarious. I went back and tried to find it and, and I did find it on Amazon. I have it somewhere in, in a box somewhere in my garage, but um, they don't even have it in digital form. So I couldn't get it for my Kindle. And I read that book and I thought it was funny because it was funny. And I thought it was prophetic because it pointed out things that didn't often come through sermons. And one of the articles that I remember is this. And when I tell you this, half of you are gonna laugh and half of you are gonna gasp. And that's what made this fake article brilliant. It was a fake article written in this book in 2006. And the, the article went something like this from my memory. Youth group goes to Africa and performs mime and puppet shows while starving children look for food. Y'all didn't laugh at that, right? One person laughed, thank you. So that's one of those, like you laugh and you cry, okay? You laugh because, I laugh because I've been part of some of those groups. I've been part of mission trips where we've preached to people and maybe have ignored their physical needs and then we went to like the best restaurant in the city afterwards. And I deserve to be laughed at for that. Now I will say I didn't organize that trip, but I was on the trip. That little parody in 2006 actually changed my life. It actually changed the whole way I looked at missions or at least it produced the conversations I've had with other missionaries and with other people about what is missions and what. Compassion is a doorway to two different things here, revelation and meeting felt needs. Okay, revelation and meeting felt needs. Now let's talk about the revelation part and I'll point out to you the scripture that we already read in Matthew chapter nine, we won't go back there, that Jesus was in the synagogues teaching. So part of compassion is teaching people. And that's why those of you involved in education, you homeschool moms, you teachers, congratulations for being off of school if you're a public school teacher, private school teachers, and then just parent figures or grandparent figures in all sectors. Like what you do to teach children is so important because we take for granted the ability to read and the ability to write down or type out our thoughts. 
That, my friends, is a gift most of humanity has not had. But we have teachers. But we have teachers. And teachers have made it happen. So way to go, teachers. You are doing God's work. Way to go, those of you who work with the schools. Those of you who clean our schools. Cafeteria ladies and men who provide food for the children. All of those things are part of God's work. Because education is a key to understanding the gospel or a key to understanding the gospel. How will they know if they can't read? Well, they got to trust someone who can read. And so education was birthed out of Christianity. It was, go look at the origins of it. It was birthed out of the church wanting people to have access to scripture and the, the ability to reason out scripture. So this is, This is the compassion we have. The compassion we have is the knowledge we have, we need to, someone else needs it. We're not gonna hold this like as containers of information so everything has to flow through me as a pastor or me as a father or me even as a a friend that's having, you know, friend at the coffee shop. All information has to flow through me because it makes me feel important. No, we wanna dispense information and share that. That's part of God's work. And that's part of, that's why Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He preached too, but he mostly taught. And he taught sitting down. I've never quite done that, a whole sermon. I tried one time to have like a stool, be intellectual, but I popped up really fast, you know? So that didn't work out for me. Um, But Jesus did that. He sat down and he taught. He taught that. So compassion's a doorway to revelation, if you, start, if you care for people, you want them to have the revelation. You want them to have the knowledge. You want them to have the aha moment. Where they're like, I get it. I get the gospel. That's a great start. But it's also, it's also meeting felt needs. Am I talking about social needs? Absolutely I am. You know, I'm not gonna let, I'm not gonna let the divisiveness of our nation take away an important term that Jesus Christ cares about the social needs, which means the community needs, the felt needs, the gospel includes those things. Jesus cares about provision. He cares that people are fed. He cares that people have housing. He cares that water is clean and so diseases don't continue. Jesus cares about health care. That's why I'm involved with the Salvus Center which is people who are from all different persuasions coming together under this mission to provide the biblical mandate of providing health care for the uninsured of Sumner County. Yes, that comes out of, of Jesus caring for felt needs, needs people fill today. Jesus cares about education. Jesus cares about life skills. And I wanna show you, one of these examples. Let's go to Mark chapter six. Mark chapter six, starting with verse 30. This is gonna be a long passage, so come on, hang with me. I believe you guys can, usually I'm like, they can't handle more than five verses. So I just give you just a little bite size because we're all, all of us are ADD. We've all been ADD since the personal computer was invented. But we're gonna go 14 verses, so let's go. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. That's a word of the Lord for somebody here today. 
For many people were coming and going and they did not have time to eat. And that's never been me. I've always found time to eat, but I've been busy before. Verse 32. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place, but many saw them leaving and recognized them. And they ran, ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. Verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and here's our word again, the word of the day, and had compassion on them. So he had empathy that moved him to action. Because again, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And out of compassion, he began to teach them many things. Again, the teaching of the word starts with compassion. That's why when teachers and preachers are about, about themselves, you know, you may enjoy the experience, but you don't learn anything. You just get motivated. So, so a teacher, if you, you want to get this information, you want to get this revelation, you want to get this truth to the people. That's the heart of a teacher, the heart of a preacher. Verse 35, when it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it's already late. Send, the, send them away so that they can go into the surrounding county uh, countryside and villages to buy something to eat. I want to say something here. These are the practical people. So you had the people like, hey, we did miracles. We did great things. And then others said, let's teach. And then, you know, there's always that person who says, hey, we, we probably ought to feed these people, right? The first person who thinks of it's a responsible person. But uh, most people don't think about preparing dinner until they get hungry. You know, they, they don't think like three hours ahead of time. But I love verse 37. This is a good word for many of us today. Jesus said this in verse 37, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And I, I wanna talk about this for just a moment. As we have all become editorial uh, professionals with our typewriters, hey, the church ought to do this. The government ought to do this. You know, that... that the neighborhood should do this. The teacher should do this. The school district should do this. The politicians should do this. This is what I think Jesus says to you in verse 37. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Hey, don't, don't be a critic until you're a activist with action first. Be someone who does something. And, and we can't do everything, but we can do something. We can do the things that God has called us to do at some level. I don't recommend everyone adopting a child unless they consider the cost of that and research that. I think adopting a child is the most Christ-like act you could do, but it needs to be done with thoughtfulness and it needs to be done with preparation. But every single one of us can do something on some level to help the fatherless and motherless of our culture, whether it's donating to a cause, whether it's volunteering for a cause, whether it's supporting another family who does have foster children or who are adopting children and trying to be a resource to them or source of whatever. There's a variety of ways the Holy Spirit will make it known to you. But I wanted verse 37 just to land on you today. You give them something to eat. Don't look to the government. You look to your heart. And get involved in the felt needs. And so Jesus, they found five fish, excuse me, five loaves of bread and two fish. And for the sake of time, let's just go down to verse 42, if you can find it down there. Verse 42, it says this, and everyone ate and was satisfied. That's what happens when the gospel gets involved. 
Because spiritual needs are met and physical needs are, are met. But the little kids in that, that mythical story or that made-up story, the little kids um, don't care about the puppet show when they're hungry. I know I said it was a made-up story, but you know it was true somewhere. You know it was true somewhere. So here's the deal, guys. You will not solve a problem until you care about a problem. That's why empathy is important, and that's why empathy moves us to compassion. And that's why we have a Jesus who personified compassion. Let's talk about healing and deliverance. I've noticed this, that healthy people don't care that much about a healing ministry. It's amazing all the people who are cessationists, meaning they don't believe in God's miraculous power after the last apostle ascended to heaven. It's amazing how all the healthy people believe that and all the people have access to medical care and access to to medicine. But usually when you're sick, then you're ready to believe that God heals. Now, wisdom says, let's not wait till that. I have noticed that for their prayers in unique ways, and according to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, we know that some people have a special grace to pray for those who are sick, a, a special charis or gift from the Holy Spirit. I noticed that many of those people had a story in their past when they were sick. Not always, but typically and historically. Why? Because they knew what it was like to be sick. And that has given them compassion. And compassion is what motivated Jesus to minister to the people. And so it it will be what will motivate us. Let's look at, here's my last point, number four. Compassion, it's a doorway to manifest healing and deliverance. And you see that all through the teaching of Jesus, Jesus' style. He had compassion for people and then he taught them and then they were healed. He had compassion for people and he taught them and he prayed for them and they were healed. It was the compassion that led to the healing. Here's another sample of that. Matthew chapter 20, starting with verse 29. It says, as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And there were two blind men sitting by the road. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd demanded that they keep quiet. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And Jesus stopped, called them, said, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, open our eyes. Look at 34 here. Moved with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they could see and they followed him. I want to challenge all of you. Pastor Aubrey, you can start making your way up. I want to challenge all of you to ask God to increase your empathy and increase your compassion. And this is what's going to happen. You're going to start praying for people that you normally wouldn't pray for. And you're going to start finding moments that when someone has a financial need, instead of just moving on, you're going to engage with that financial need, maybe through prayer or maybe through advice or maybe through generosity. You're going to find that 
What's gonna motivate you is the compassion of Jesus will cause you to engage in ways that you haven't engaged before. Because I could sit here and say, okay, everybody, let me just get, let me pump you up. We're gonna leave these four walls. The gospel doesn't belong here. We're gonna go out to the streets. We're gonna go out to the neighborhoods and we're gonna tell people about Jesus and rah, rah, rah. Okay, sometimes that helps. Sometimes that's good. I'm not even saying it's not effective sometimes, but it has limited effectiveness. But when out of your spirit and heart, this Jesus-like compassion begins to overtake your kind of primal reactions. And so the irritation you have with that annoying neighbor, I don't have an annoying neighbor, by the way, that's a total, my neighbors are awesome because I know they watch this service too, but they are. But that annoying neighbor or that family member who always says the wrong thing, right? Or or that boss who, who never quite empathizes with you. Ask the Holy Spirit to begin to give you a Jesus-like perspective that you would have compassion towards that person. That's not natural, but it's supernatural. It's from the Lord. And then it's not enough like just to be a nice person. Like I'm not saying be compassionate to be a nice person so that you can just be nice. I'm saying let that compassion lead you to action, lead you to prayer, lead you to engagement, lead you to active service, lead you to um, movement into the needs of God. And I believe God's gonna do that for you. Jesus said this, he said, he who has been forgiven much loves much. And he was talking about that when it came to, to our salvation in Christ. But I believe it, it applies to our brokenness too. When we recognize our brokenness, we have a compassion to walk with the Lord. Let's just stand together now in an attitude of prayer if you're able to stand together. And I wanna invite our pastors who are gonna give communion today to begin to prepare to distribute communion. If you came in today, we have communion packets that are individually Uh, placed together. And so you can take communion. If you didn't grab one of those, you can get one of those in the back. If you choose to come down front to take communion uh, with our pastors here, uh, we we have time. We don't all have to come in once, but all are welcome to come down this middle aisle. And then uh, if you choose to, you can take the bread from Beth. If you choose to take your ashes and you can return that way. Daniel will be here to your right. If you want those individual cups, you can go that way. Then I'm gonna be over here to your left today. Um, and if you just want special prayer for God's healing power, deliverance power, if the Lord's stirring you, I'll be available to pray with you today. And uh, we'll be back in a few minutes to give our benediction. So Father, we come to you and we praise your name. On this Trinity Sunday, we confess our sins to you and we love you. This, the church all over the world today is recognizing the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our weekly confession always recognizes the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So as we prepare our hearts for communion, this confession will be on your screen. And um, now I know I just told you to close your eyes, but if you wanna open your eyes again and join me in praying to our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let's pray this now. Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me and all of the world. Praise God, the table of the Lord is open to you. Thank you.